Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. They did it again. They did the same jump all over again. But as soon as they say, okay, okay, God, we, we messed up. We complained against God. We complained against you. We complained against Moses. We've sinned. We're sorry. Help us. He helps them. That should encourage you and me because we'd be messing up too. We do the wrong thing too. And it just should be really encouraging to know that, man, when you come back, when you cry out, when you confess your sins, 1 John 1, 9, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. That God's just long suffering. He loves you. Have you ever found yourself experiencing a variety of emotions whenever you read about Israel's journey through the wilderness? Were those emotions particularly one of frustration or even annoyance by their constant lack of thankfulness? As Pastor Bill will teach you in his message today, we should actually feel the exact opposite when we read such accounts. In his study, you'll learn how we as believers can be both thankful and encouraged by God's constant patience and grace towards Israel. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, for today's edition of A Transforming Word. That thing that one day was an answer to prayer, after a while, you're complaining about that, that provision. You're complaining about that provision that God gave. People do this with their jobs. That job, you was one day praying that God would open the door and give you favor. You was hoping that they, you would get the call back. You got the call back. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Woo! And that same job, after you have it for a while, get used to that paycheck. Not that big a deal no more. Forgot what it was like when you didn't have it at all. And you get to that same place, that same job, you're complaining against it. Oh, I can't stand this job, man. And, you know, that's what people, some people do this with their spouses. That spouse, you were praying, God, please. Please show her that I'm the one. Please open her eyes, Lord, to see that I'm the one for him or her, whatever. And, and God gave them to you. Now you got them. You've had them for a while now. And now you can, like, that worthless spouse you gave me and, and all this stuff. Same thing. Be your car. It, it could be your home, the place you live in. That place that one day was a blessing that the doors opened. You got keys and you had your apartment and your house and your little place. And now you're used to it. Had it for a while. Complained against it. Be careful that you're not today complaining against a provision from the Lord. They, they're complaining against God's supernatural daily provision for them. Manna. Be careful that you're not doing that. Something God has graciously provided that you're complaining against it. Um, we're to be grateful, thankful for everything that comes from the Lord to us. We don't want to be complaining and griping about the things that he does. And I find this interesting, but the thing that many people are complaining against, um, the thing that they're complaining about, there's always, there's always someone else out there that would count it a blessing. That job that you're complaining about is somebody at the unemployment office today in line that would just, I'll take it. They'd take it in a heartbeat. That job you complain about that that's I won't say your spouse, but that's that's how that happens too. You know, somebody else, I'll take her, I'll take them. You know, that person you complaining about, then you'll be all feeling some kind of way at that point. Those things that we're complaining against, there's somebody else out there that's like, man, that car would be a blessing to me, because I don't have no car. Uh, you know, that 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 job, that thing that's a complaint, be careful that you haven't become dissatisfied with God's provision. Um, you know, the manna, understandably, I mean, they had the same thing every day and maybe that got old. But at the same time, food was I mean, anybody here wake up and have food just show up every day? No, nah, you got to go to work. You got to go get your you got to go work. You got to, I mean, 
you know, that just doesn't happen every day. You know, you don't wake up and just, there it is. I'm going to get mine outside. I got my manna, you know. We don't get that like that every day. That's a, it was a supernatural provision. And they had lost the awe that God would do that for them. They lost the sense of, wow, that God was providing this for them on a day-to-day. Look at verse 6 now. It says, so the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. I just want to point out that God sent the fiery serpents. These, you know, some of you know, you read this lightly, the, 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 the devil sent that. The devil sent the snake. The serpent is the devil. The devil sent, no, 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 no. God sent the fiery serpents. This is God's judgment on them folks for complaining against him and against Moses. Why they call them fiery serpents? Because the venom in these serpents, when they bit you and released it, it burned. It, it burned in your body. And the people were getting bit and they were dying. Most of us don't like snakes. Most people don't like snakes. And at this point, God says, as my judgment on you guys, I'm sending out these little fiery serpents. They're going to bite y'all and y'all going to die. And as this is taking place, look at verse uh, 7. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, but we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Now that the people are getting bit and dying, I mean, imagine you're out there in this congregation. You just finished complaining. You're worthless bread, man. He's complaining. And this is like the next thing that happened. The serpents start falling down or I don't know. They fell down from heaven or they just start showing up on the ground. But friend next to you get bit in the grass and over there got bit in the grass and people are falling down and dying. And now in fear for themselves, they cry out to the Lord. Okay, okay, okay. But they do the right thing. They confess their sins. And they ask for prayer. And I, I just think this is awesome about the Lord. If it was anybody else, right? If if there was somebody that kept sinning against you, and then as soon as they sinned against you and something bad happened, they're like, okay, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And how many times would you forgive somebody that that was just their relationship with you? They just dog you out. And then and then one star start going bad. Okay, 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 okay. You know, we, that gets old for us. That's just human nature. That gets old. But... I'm amazed at God's patience, right? They, they did it again. They did the same junk all over again. But as soon as they say, okay, okay, God, we, we messed up. We complained against God. We complained against you. We complained against Moses. We've sinned. We're sorry. Help us. He helps them. That should encourage you and me because we'd be messing up too. We do the wrong thing too. And it just should be really encouraging to know that, man, when you come back, when you cry out, when you confess your sins, 1 John 1, 9, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. That God's just long-suffering. He loves you. And it's a bigger deal to him that you get right than, than that you just stay out there. It's a big enough deal for the Lord that he's made a provision for it, for you and for me, that we can get right, that we can be forgiven, that we can be cleansed. And so when we cry out too, the Lord hears us, just like he hears them when they cry out. And they told, he told, they, they went to Moses and it says, so Moses prayed for the people. <laughs> and I just want to point this out that the people do the right thing of confessing their sins, acknowledging their sins, confessing it. That's what God says you need to do to be forgiven. Confess your sins. First John 1, 9. But Moses is going to pray for them. And Moses demonstrates to you and I something of a leadership character. Moses is praying for his. These, these people are enemies to him. These people have been getting on his nerve. These people are the reason why he's not going into the promised land. Well, they stumbled him. He's the reason why he's not going in. But these are the people that have been griping and complaining and, and all these things. Moses could have been bitter. 
Moses could have been, man, you guys got me in trouble with the Lord last chapter. Now I'm going to go to promised land. No, nah, I'm going to just let, I mean, some of us, if we were in Moses' position, we just, no, nah, it's going to be some more death. Y'all just get bit. You know, I'm sick of these people. And I just want you to see that that's not his heart. Right? And if that's the kind of heart you have, you want to check that out. That's not God's heart. Right? And so he intercedes for them. And if you're writing notes, I got a few verses I'd like you to write down. Write down Matthew 5, 43 to 48. In that section there, it's in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is telling the disciples that what do you do for your enemies? You need to pray for them. That that's what we're supposed to do. That's what Christians do. That's what people that represent the Lord do for those that are coming against them. Matthew 5, 43 to 48, it says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your, your, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what they were saying. Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Why? That you may be the sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. If you love those who love you, he says, what reward have you? Even the tax collectors do the same. He said, even non-believers love those that love them. No big deal. And if you greet your brethren only, what more do you do than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect. This is your father in heaven is perfect. Jesus says, look, I want you to love your enemies. Right. And he, I want you to know, he says, even non-believers greet those that they like. So he said, I want you to love them. I want you to pray for them. I want you to be good, do good to them. I want you to greet them. And so if you got someone that you're feeling like they're an enemy to you, that's God's heart. That's what he wants you to do. Um, the Moses, I mean, Moses here is going to intercede for them. That's God's heart. In the book of Job, I don't have time to go there, but write down Job 42, verse 7 through 10. If you guys remember, Job went through a horrendous trial in his life. He had three friends, and they were, they were, a, they were the worst friends you could have in a bad time. His three friends came at the worst time in his life and said, Job, man, you, you probably had some sin in your life. You know, you was always prideful. You know, it was always going like this and that. And they were, they were, instead of comforting him and ministering to him, they were accusing him of being in the predicament he was in because of sin. But we know from the scriptures that he was upright, blameless, feared God and shunned evil, that it wasn't true. And they did this to Job. And Job had his time with the Lord. And as you get to the very end of the book, God rebukes Job's friends. He tells them that they were wrong. He says, you guys go back to Job. I won't even hear you guys pray. You guys go back and ask Job to pray for you. He'll pray for you. God knew that Job would. And when they came back, it says the verse is, I believe it's verse uh, 10. It says, but when Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored everything to him. And I've always, that's always been a big deal to me, right? Because Job had lost all his kids, all his stuff, everything else. But God says, when he prayed, how come the Holy Spirit put that there? It's, a, it's to teach us something, right? Because he didn't get bitter against his friends. He didn't harbor anger and it was demonstrated in this when they came for prayer he prayed for them and as he prayed for them God said boom everything that you lost I'm gonna give it to you plus twice as much and God extended his life that he saw his kids and grandkids for three generations lived to be old and and just enjoy his kids and grandbabies over and over again but God the, the point that God did it was when he prayed that's when God did that for him and I just the last one right down Luke 23 34 but as Jesus hung on the cross, he looked down there at the people that put him on it and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Praying for his enemies. So if you're here and you got some people that have come against you or you feel like they're adversarial towards you,
Um, don't join them and become like them. Be like this. You want to pray for them. There's something that, it's something that, something that it does for you and it's something that it does for them. It'll keep you free. You can't be bitter against someone you're praying for. It'll free you from bitterness and bitterness only hurts you. So it'll free you up from being in bondage to bitterness and God will minister to them. Right. And so Moses intercedes for them here. Um, verse seven, you know, he went I mean, verse uh, seven. He went ahead and prayed for the people. Verse eight. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole and it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and he put it on a pole. And it was if a serpent had bitten anyone when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So God gave Moses instructions. I want you to get a pole. I want you to um, make a fiery serpent on the pole out of bronze. Bronze in scripture or brass is symbolic of what? By no judgment. So when you see brass or bronze, it's a symbolic of judgment. When and, and when you get the picture of the glorified Christ coming back and his feet are like um, feet are like bronze. Some people think that's because he's black. No, it's, it's a symbolic of the fact that he's coming back to judge when he comes. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a whole nother thing. So, um, so it's, in, it's throughout scripture, symbolic of his judgment. And so as he would hold up this pole with the serpent on the pole. It, now, this is crazy. If they would look to it, they would be healed. But do you know there's some people that wouldn't look? There's some people that wouldn't look. You know, everybody wasn't going to be saved. But God said, Moses, I'm making a provision. I want them to look up. And there'll be some that look up and they're healed just because they looked. Right? This is my provision. My leader is walking around with it. And if you look at it now, someone could have been there saying, this is stupid. I'm not looking at that pole. Moses, I'm not looking at the no. And then they just, you just die. You'll die when you get bit then. Right? But some will believe and look. And be healed. Now, again, someone might look and say, why, why did, why is this, is it strange? Why did God do this? Why did God put them through this? And again, the instruction given to Moses was that he, he take a fiery serpent, set it on the pole, and it says, everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. And so Moses did it, and as he went around, people looked at it live. Now, this right here is expounded upon in John's gospel. So to close, Everybody turn to John chapter three, and this will be the last place we look at. In John chapter three, as Jesus is having his interaction with Nicodemus, um, some people call this Nick at night. Nick, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night because he was a religious ruler. And, you know, some people believe that maybe he, he was afraid or embarrassed to have this conversation in the day, wanted to have it in private. But he came to Christ at night and he asked him questions. He asked him about being born again. He asked him about. He asked him questions about being saved. So I'm going to read through this section and we're going to we'll highlight a portion of it. But I'm going to just read through it and starting at verse one. So there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And 
Most believe that born of water is, is, is natural birth because, you know, a kid's born in the water sack, the water breaks, kid comes. Speaking of the water is the natural birth and the spirit is the spiritual birth. So you got to be born a natural birth. You got to be born again of the spirit if you're going to see the kingdom of God. Verse six, that which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, are you a teacher in Israel and you do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe me, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. And this is what he says in verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And he points back to this picture, speaking to Nicodemus, this religious leader that would have been familiar with the story from Moses, the first five books. He says, hey, just like Moses held up the serpent and those that would look at it would be saved. He says, in the very same way, me, the son of man, I'll be lifted up. He's going to be lifted up on the cross, we know. And he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up, that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And he points back to the story. And as I look at the story in its context and, and numbers, I'm thinking, OK, well, those that would look would be saved. But everybody would have the option. Everybody down there getting bit. You're either going to die of the bite or you're going to look and be healed. And as we come to the New Testament, everybody here has been born into sin. And you're going to die of your sin or you're going to look to the cross. In the same way, there could have been ridiculous reasons given for why someone wouldn't look to the serpent. Other make sense to me. I don't, I don't see how that's going to help anything at all. I'm hurting down here. I'm not looking at a dumb serpent. I don't make any sense. There could, you know, who knows what the excuses are, what, what kind of things they had to say back then. But I know today there are people that have a million and one excuses why they won't look to the cross. I don't know. I don't believe that. That just seems so narrow that that's the only way. You know, there has to be some other kind of way and all these different things. The bottom line is this. If you won't look to the cross, if you won't believe in him, you will not be saved. He's it. And he points back to this picture. And I love that God gives us these pictures. You know, I always, you know, hate when people, people you know, this verse and another one where it talks about Jesus being lifted up. When the Bible speaks about him being lifted up, it's always speaking about him being put on the cross. People take these verses in church and say, you know, if I'll be lifted up, I'll draw men to myself. And they use it as praise time. And it's like, no, no. When he's talking about being lifted up, he ain't talking about a time of praise and worship. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about raising the roof with some praise music. He's talking about when he, if he be lifted up onto the cross, he'll draw men. Right here he says, I must be lifted up. That's on the cross. Die for you guys. And I think that even in church circles, I look at something that powerful as a cross and it'd be diminished to something as lightweight as our praise. You know, lift it up. We're going, it's, that's something that we're doing in our energy. No, no, that lifted up is something he did in his might and his strength for our benefit. And so don't ever say that. Don't ever say, don't, don't ever misunderstand that. Um, him being lifted up is always him being lifted up on the cross. And this is the thing. He got lifted up. What did you have to do? There was nothing they could do in their energy to heal themselves from the bite except look to the one that could. 
and be healed by faith. Just look to him. Right. There's nothing we can do in the energy of our flesh to be forgiven of our sins, to be made right with God. But we can look to him and believe him. I can believe that he died in my place. That's it. That's why the gospel is so such good news. I can't work for it. I can't earn it. I can't be better. I can't do a better job. I can't read my Bible longer. I can't, you know, go on a, a mission trip like the Mormons do. I can't go door to door like the Jehovah's with nothing you can do. Look to him. He did it all on the cross. And we just look to him. Now, this is what happens for the believer. After we look to him and we receive his free gift. Now we go on in service for the Lord. Not so that he'll save us. We got saved for free. We're serving him because of what he's already done. Amen. That's the biggest difference of Christianity and most false religions. Most false religions are doing something to win favor with God. Muslims are running into buildings and blowing themselves up, hoping that they're going to get to go to their God in some paradise and have all. They're, they're trying to earn something with God. For the believer, guys, I'm taking all the pressure off. The work that's done, I did it. As you believe in me, I save you. I done deal. You want me, I want you first. I save you. You turn to me, I forgive you. I receive you right away. Now, it's the goodness of God, the Bible says, that brings us to repentance. Now, as I just, I just, as I meditate on how good he's been to me, it's like, man, God, I just want to serve you. I go on and serve you. And I'm not serving so that you'll do. I'm serving God because of what he's already done. Amen. It's a big difference when we go about it that way. And so, as we wrap this up, um, I thought this was interesting for you guys that are familiar with the Red Cross. The Red Cross's logo is a cross, symbol of both of these scriptures together. It's a cross with a serpent wrapped around it, right? And the reason they did that at their inception when they first did it, they recognized, they knew that healing comes from looking at the sun, looking at the sun on, 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 on the pole, looking at him. They knew that, 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 that that's how we get healed. And so that was their... That was their image. Now, the Red Cross, now they're here, and they've become something very different, but that's still there. That, that image is still there. They can't get away with it. Where did that come from? Where the pole and the cross and the serpent? That came right from here. And even though they don't believe it anymore, we do. And I know where it came from. I know, I know that at one point, that was an organization that believed these things different than they do right now. So as we close, I would just like to encourage us that from the things that we looked at, from the things that we read first, we looked at how the Israelites got moving in the right direction, and as they did, the enemy came. And so I'm going to pray for all of us here. Um, I'm going to just assume that there are people here that are walking and enduring some form of warfare, some form of attack of the enemy, and we just pray for that. Again, as they got going, and they had to go around the long way, they got discouraged, and they didn't deal with their discouragement the right way. And so we talked about that. We encourage you guys, if you have things that are discouraging, that you would take those things to the Lord, that you would you be diligent on your end to spend time in your word and devotions, that you wouldn't become depressed or discouraged, but that you would choose to look to the Lord. For some people, for many people, becoming depressed is a choice that they made. And so that sounds really, you know, uh, harsh in our culture that wants to medicate everything, but I meet and talk and counsel with enough people to say that many, many people that are depressed, it's not medical. They don't, they don't need a, they don't know, they don't need a, a medical marijuana card to get it off. They, they're just soaking and looking at the wrong thing too long. And so we get our eyes on the Lord. Next, as they began to complain against God and complain against his provision, that we be careful about that. Be careful that you're not complaining against those things that God has supernaturally provided for you in his life. And lastly, as the answer for them was looking 
to this pole and serpent that God had had Moses put together. The answer for you and me is looking to Jesus. That you walk out of here saying, you know what I need to do? I need to make sure I'm looking to Jesus every day. First thing in the morning, second thing in the afternoon, on the way to bed, throughout the day, that we make sure that we're looking to Jesus, that our eyes will be in the right place. Amen. That's all we have time for today on A Transforming Word. Thanks for tuning in. Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through the book of Numbers, and we pray that it's been eye-opening for you. In this book, you see how God dealt with sin and disobedience in the Israelite camp, but you also get a sense of how God delights in obedience and a soft heart. The people then were no different than people today. It's all human nature, plagued with the curse of sin, but God didn't leave their side, and He remains by your side today. So if you're ever in doubt about God's goodness, faithfulness, or steadfastness, be reminded that God cares about you, loves you, and is there for you. We hope you continue to learn more from the book of Numbers, and we encourage you to read ahead on your own. If you're interested in listening to additional teachings from Pastor Bill, you can find them on our website at calvaryinglewood.org. We'd be happy to meet you too. If you live in the Inglewood area or happen to be passing through, come join us for worship this weekend. You can get service times and location information at calvaryinglewood.org. You'll even find links to stream our services if you're unable to be with us in person. Then you can catch up on previous messages online. That website again is calvaryinglewood.org. Before you go, we want you to know that we're grateful to have you as part of our listening audience, and we pray you continue to look to Jesus. Thanks again for joining us, and be sure to catch our next edition of A Transforming Word.